tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Friday edition of the tennis.com podcast. I am Ed McGrogan here speaking with the inimitable Pete Bodo um, from Distances Afar. We're talking over uh, our trusty friend Skype here. Pete, how are you on this? Hey, Eddie. Uh, how are you doing? Recently married, Ed McGrogan. How are you? Yes, he lo- loved to remind us of that. Yeah, absolutely. So things are well here. I, I trust things are well with you. Um, we'll be Pete and I will be together each Friday uh, going forward, uh, talking about either the week that's been so far, kind of looking ahead to the weekend, or in this case, talking about some some topics that we've addressed during the week here. Um, and what you were most recently filed about was about the fall season. We're really Sort of just getting into that now. The leaves are, the leaves are are just beginning to uh, to wane from their their green intensity here and going into something else here. So my my, for, how poetic, Ed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and their green intensity. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you you found found some fault with that or no? Um, so you know for the fall here. Yesterday I know you wrote about the ATP. Today we're gonna there's the WTA sort of piece themes about the season and I, you left a couple questions lingering I think in the men's piece that, that I wanted to talk about here um, one was being that will the fall ever be credible as say the European spring clay season and and to me you know when I think about the fall season I really do think it is honestly um, you know the right time for players to who are sort of lacking injuries here or really just hampered by a, um, it is a convenient time to really kind of, you know, settle back a little bit. Um, I, I guess what I want to say about it is I don't think it's ever going to be that all out great participation. You saw that with Djokovic last year, Nadal through his injuries this year. But um, as the last couple of years have shown, I think it still can foreshadow something for those who do really well in that. You saw that with Djokovic in 2010 and really last year with Federer as well. So I, I think there still is a lot to be taken out of the fall season, even if I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, the main attraction after the, well, US you saw it with last year with last year, you saw it with Murray as well. Murray is the only guy who won three titles other than Federer and Murray. There were the two guys who won three titles last fall and both of them look what it, look what it did for them. Federer did it immediately with Murray. There was a little bit of a lag, even though he played great in Australia, but he ended up, you know, we we saw what he did this summer. So, you know, some of the, some of the confidence and credibility he gained in that fall run last year certainly helped him this year. Yeah, it was, um, you know, to that piece there, like I'm tying back to this again, you know, the introductory sentence I thought was a pretty, pretty sharp one, kind of a sobering reminder before you go on. Uh, Simply put, the fall season has always been problematic in tennis. And I I think it has been. I think it's, it's always a, um, a dividing opinion, I think, amongst players, I think amongst fans, I think amongst critics of the game. Um, I, I, you know, I've always wanted the season to really kind of end at the open. I think you've kind of wavered back and forth. What, what is your, your thought on when the tennis season should really come to a final point? 
Uh, you, I think it should come to a final point at the U.S. at the end of the U.S. Open. Basically, finish it with the Grand Slam. Maybe have the Davis Cup, you know, a week or two after that, you know, and then, or you could actually move the entire Davis Cup to the fall after the Grand Slam season. Although that, of course, hurts the players who choose to play Davis Cup, and of course, we love them and we love the Davis Cup. So uh, that would be tough. But no, I, I think I think ending it, you know, sometime a reasonable time after the U.S. Open would be workable. But look, you got to be open minded about this. You know, we talk about the Leafs. But let's face it, for us in the Northeast here, and also in a lot of parts of the U.S., all right, the Grand Slams are over. The U.S. Open is the grand finale as it's always been. But heck, if you live in China, if you're in Korea, some of these other places, you know, it, it, it's a, it's like summertime there still. It's you know, it's it's a beautiful time of year to have outdoor tennis. So, you know, the sun is always shining somewhere in the world, and tennis is an international sport. So it's pretty hard to cut those people off and say, well, it's fall, so we shouldn't have any more tennis. Uh, I, th- I think the real thing to me is I almost look at the fall as kind of a, a weird twisted version of the preseason if you come right down to it you know guys who you know the, it's a state setting time in a way Jan- Janko Tipsarevich last year won his first WTA title of his career at at, at I think it was Seoul uh, I know he won two and, and he goes a finalist to Moscow as well and you know he set the stage for his entry into the top 10 which happened in April uh, and then he's, you know, done a good job proving that he belongs there all this year, and he's managed to keep himself. So essentially, you almost have to. And you look at Federer too. Federer was almost like a preseason, and Andy Murray too was almost like, you know, like it set the stage for what he did this year. So that's how I view it, frankly. Even though it's very awkward, because let's face it, we've got the World Tour Finals in there in November. Right, and that's still a big push and directed by the ATP, of course, since it's it's their most prestigious event, of course, that they own everything. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, it is the same old story, but uh, I, I do think there are room for opinions, you know, kind of thoughts on the season like that. It's almost a preseason. I, I do kind of agree with you there, even though there, there really isn't an off-season to begin with. Um, it's an end-of-season preseason, so, I mean, you know, it, right. it, it's kind of screwy, and I think the fact that we're talking about in these terms tells you that it's kind of screwy, and that's really the big takeaway. Yeah. It, what you mentioned about Davis Cup, I think, is a really good point um, in that I think Davis Cup, um, I'm with you. I've, I'm quite a big fan of, of the competition, not necessarily how it is um, conducted. I, I think you and I both agree that the home and away format is a, is one of the you know the hallmarks of that tournament and really shouldn't be uh, disturbed. I think that adds just I think the tournament would lose just as much as it would potentially gain by doing it all in one stretch. But I do think the fall would be a great time if it could be somehow arranged that you carve out maybe a solid three weeks a month. And you kind of give the the main competitors maybe the you know the world group or maybe just you cut the world group to eight teams like it's done in Fed Cup and and you get these guys to name a team from the start the team really can't waver unless of a you know an injury or whatever and you and you kind of have this solid month to host these back and forth ties you kind of account for travel time that's going to take place um it's you know you're going to run into a lot of the same concerns as you do now with kind of scheduling because it's really still sort of haphazard you know kind of on a moment's notice you got to book an arena or you know make a makeshift court but i do think um the fall season really is a good time for davis cup to strike you do get you still, I think, get a, a fair amount of attention for the final as it is, and that to me signals a lot of interest that's kind of, uh, this is an open area and really kind of ripe for the ITF's taking. 
Well, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's just a hard thing to pull off. The problem's not going to go away. Uh, You know, I personally like the Davis Cup exactly as it is in terms of the fact that it's based out over the year, which a lot of people have a problem with. And I also like like the the home and away, of course. So, you know, I I don't know what the solution – I think the solution is for everybody to love the Davis Cup even more, and that way it won't be a problem. The problem will go away once people say it doesn't need to exist. And then you know what? If you ask most of the guys who play Davis Cup with any amount of enthusiasm – they're there. They sign up. They, you know, they say, yeah, it's hard. It adds a couple extra weeks to the calendar. But, but you know, you know, it's like Fisher Cup eight. You know, if you want to play Davis Cup, accept the challenge. You know, embrace embrace a competition. Uh, you know, cut out some of the smaller tournaments on your schedule because you're going to be playing Davis Cup. Simple as that. That's a fair point. Is just really the the overall perception of it, and I, I do think a lot of players do you know share that view. Uh, even. Even though this most recent tie here came immediately after the U.S. Open, um, you had participation, even relegation ties um, this week from guys who made it very deep in the tournament. Um, you know, Federer made second week, of course. Uh, Burdich, Burdich plays a semifinal. He makes the semifinals of the Open there. So, you know, there there is still... Davis Cup is certainly not as dead as I think people want to say it is. I do think it could use a little bit of a profile boost in some way. I think that's where I'm kind of going with that, um, using the fall season a little more to its advantage. One of the more interesting plans floated by uh, some of the people out there would break it down into a regional competition. Again, it would divide the it would divide the uh, teams into zones and you would so you, the travel time wouldn't be so horrific you wouldn't have to fly from australia to finland to play a davis cup tie you'd fundamentally be competing at certain times of year against people more or less in your region so you're you know, so at least getting there and staying there and returning from there to where you go next wouldn't 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 be too tough i think that's that's an interesting thing to look at it is conducted on a zonal basis and here's another idea you know I, I never thought i'd hear myself say this some years ago but what about returning to the challenge the challenge uh, round concept where the winner sits out that immediately you know eliminates one round you know uh, you know so and have them play through for the right to challenge the winner and since it's an annual competition it's not like the winner is sitting around doing nothing for you know three years or anything so you know there there are, there are ways to keep a, a you know almost the identical format we have now yet to shorten it up a little bit i see yeah um back to the fall this little bit is what i want to end on here um you we talked about or you talked about some themes for the men going forward um what did you discover in um or kind of surmises your big themes going forward for the women's tour uh this is you know been totally dominated by Serena um, since Wimbledon. Uh, I, I sort of assume she probably factors into some of your thoughts you had on the rest of the fall. Uh, what would you come up with? I know this post is coming out pretty shortly on the site. Funny you mentioned Serena. You know, it's pretty hard to get a take on this. Uh, as far as I know, I don't even know what she's playing, to tell you the truth. I presume she's going to play some of these premieres. Uh, there's two premier events. The big, the big thing in the fall, let me backtrack a little bit, is that you've got the two big premieres. Everything else is essentially for the top players, more or less dog poop. I mean, look, they're not going to go and play Seoul. They're not going to play Zhang Zhao. They're not going to go and play in uh, in Linz unless it's really convenient like it is for Kvitova, who's the ch- defending champion there. Uh, actually, Azarenka gets some props because she's going to be playing in Linz too this year. Among all the top players, I'm looking at Sharapova's schedule to play two premieres and then probably the championships. Azarenka, two premieres plus Linz. That's about the most I can get. Serena, you know, she doesn't even have an active website at the moment. And... 
I can't find a WTA. Unfortunately, does not appear to publish at their website anyway. Entry list for the tournaments. That's something that they really ought to get on top of. And I'm, I plan to actually give them a call and talk to some of the WTA folks there. There ought to be at least at least for the media a module where you could look and see who's entered in these tournaments coming up. Because otherwise, you don't really know unless it's at their website. So anyhow, the long story short, I, I think you're looking at Azarenka, Sharapova will be there. Serena, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if she skips some of that, given the fact, given her her history and the fact that she hasn't played there, you know, in, in a while or an awful lot. Uh, it, you know, you got Rodwanska's in there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Rodwanska, who won both premier events last year and was seated no higher than number nine in either, she was seated nine in, in Tokyo and eleven the following week in Beijing, and she won both those events. And it wasn't like the players weren't there. Serena was not there. Everybody else, more or less, was there. Sharapova was there for one, and Azarenka was there for both. So, you know, for her to repeat that is going to be a bit. It's, it's really a big ask for her to repeat that. Apart from that, you're looking at you're looking at just a remarkable array of names who have won these smaller tournaments outside beyond the two premier events. You've got basically two premier events, two uh, two season-ending championships, Bali, the tournament of also uh, champions, or er, also rands, and the WTA championships. That leaves you basically eight tournaments. Uh, you know, that do not, you know, that are essentially small tournaments. And the people who are going to win them are going to be just like last year. You know, we already have Begu won last week in Quebec, and so did Flipkins. You know, last year, the players who won there were, were Strykova in Quebec, and uh, and I think Pervac, um, you know, Pervac in Tashkent. So, uh, you know, you, you just got this unbelievable, you know, number of, of players ranked anywhere you know the number six seed can win one of these tournaments as easily as the number one or two seed that's what we learned last year and i think we're going to see more of the same this year right yeah it's um as you said for the men it's significant opportunities for um you know for those who are willing to play them and um i think we saw that i think we saw that like i said men's and women's i think even more so with some um you know some injuries some players retiring of course this year so it's a little bit a little bit different but i think a little more the same this year as well for the fall so We'll keep an eye on that. Of course, be back next Friday, Pete and I, to discuss um, discuss what's happening in the world of tennis. So thanks for listening. Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.